Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. We've been doing a series entitled, What Does This Passage Mean? And we've been talking about various passages of scripture and sort of walking through how do we, what do we observe in the text? What do we observe in the context? How do we interpret this passage in light of the context? What did it mean to its original audience? And then finally, and sometimes most importantly, how does this apply to our lives today? I got a, a, a email from a listener uh, regarding Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9 that talks about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And I initially wrote back to the person who sent me the question and I said, yeah, I don't really deal with marriage, divorce and remarriage in my blog or my podcast. And I've been pretty intentional about not talking about this subject uh, on the Radically Christian site uh, for several years now. And I've done that on purpose because this subject has a lot of emotion attached to it, people's lives, people's families, people's souls attached to this subject. And there's a lot of different thoughts and interpretations of these texts. And I really feel like when people are struggling with these matters, they they need to be in touch with and talking to leaders, ministers, elders, shepherds in their local churches, and, and I would continue to encourage people to do that. But as I thought about Matthew chapter 19 and the importance of this passage and Jesus' teaching on marriage, I, I thought about someone that I know from Facebook, someone I, I look up to, a couple that I look up to, uh, Jordan and Priscilla Gray, and I invited them to be part of this conversation today because I believe their story and their uh, insight into this truth can be helpful to all of us. So Jordan and Priscilla, thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you so much thank for you, having us. It's just an honor to be here. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Well, we, we do obviously want to, to talk about and study Matthew 19 and, and talk about the text, but I think it would be helpful to sort of set the stage uh, with your context, with your life, with your story, and, and why this is such a, um, a, a relevant uh, subject for y'all. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to get started? Sure thing. So uh, I guess it was um, towards the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, that uh, we were ministering in a, in a congregation with divorce and remarriage, nowhere on our radar, uh, really didn't even know that we had marriage trouble to the extent that we had it. Um, but all of a sudden, things exploded. And um, in uh, January of 2017, uh, Priscilla started going through an affair. A couple of months pass. Uh, we're really struggling uh, to to move forward, and then I also get into an affair, and so we're both just chaotic, and uh, our marriage was falling apart. And uh, from about January to July, that goes on until finally July, divorce is filed. And September 2017, our divorce was final. So, so really, very quickly, considering all things, uh, we were de dealing with divorce mm -hmm. and thinking about what that meant for us, thinking about what that meant for the future. And of course, um, you know, remarriage may be part of that. We, that wasn't, you know, really in the picture at the time, thinking about remarriage. But of course, that's really in the back of your mind. Am I ever going to be remarried again? Uh, what's my life going to look like from here on out? 
So that was a, a year of a lot of chaos and um, really coming to this text and thinking about this issue from a much more personal perspective than would ever had to before. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of, um, you know, what was going on with me is that, yes, like he said, we did not realize the extent of marriage problems that we had. Um, we would say that we just had normal marriage problems. You know, we would have the typical um, nagging, you know, bickering a little bit, but we would just kind of sweep those things under the rug. Um, we weren't always in ministry. He was an accountant um, before we were in ministry together. So he was always working. Um, and then I was a stay at home mom and, you know, that was just kind of the dynamic of our, our family. And we just kind of had our roles and we stuck to our roles and we had a lot of children. So that kind of kept us busy and occupied throughout those years. And so, um, we just kind of, like I said, you know, as we would have issues, we didn't think that they were abnormal issues. We just thought normal marital issues and they were, um, but we were not dealing with them. We were just kind of sweeping them under the rug. Mm -hmm. So then when, um, when, like he said, we were in, um, a church at, at some point that, um, I did start to feel just really kind of, uh, lonely and empty. And like, I wasn't really fulfilling my purpose. Um, I get it. I get it. A stay at home mom is a very, um, hard job, a very, you know, important job, an important role, but, I had grown up just wanting to serve in the church in some way. And so I began trying to find what is my purpose in the church. And so, um, again, like I said, I, I was just kind of feeling lonely and overwhelmed um, with just, you know, being home all the time while Jordan was working all the time. And um, I did begin trying to get involved in um, having a singles ministry and it actually started in our home. We started having um, a bunch of singles come into our home and, and actually that, that ministry kind of took off. Um, yeah. You know, people were coming and they were being just real and authentic. And it was some of the singles had not been to church in years. It was an amazing thing. I mean, you, so many in church world know how hard it is to do singles ministry. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, God was just anointing something. It was it was on fire. Um, but I think that that really revealed. Uh, <laughs> speaking of fire, uh, it, it revealed some things in us because yes. it really pushed us to the boundaries. If we didn't have a healthy family life before, and now all of a sudden we're sitting up till two o'clock in the morning with a bunch of singles, multiple nights a week, that really. Uh, it really pressed on the problems that were already there. Yeah. Yeah. So there was one person in particular that we were really um, trying to encourage in this group. And that person I just got very, very close to and, um, you know, ended up having more feelings for this person than just um, godly Christ-like feelings. And so anyway, that did turn into a full-blown affair um, months into this ministry and um, of course, you know, like Jordan said, I did come to him. I did confess this to him. I thought his initial reaction would be, you're out. Uh, there's no way, you know, using scripture, um, I can divorce you. I have the right to divorce you. And actually, that's not how he responded at all. And that kind of took me back because in the back of my mind, I was 
somewhat hoping that that was his response. I was somewhat hoping that that's how he would handle that, but then he didn't. So that was kind of confusing. Like, wait a second. I, I had this idea that maybe you didn't really love me all these years because you've just been busy, you know, work, ministry, et cetera. And now you're telling me, no, it's worth it for me to, um, do something to try to save this marriage. And, um, so we did, initially began to try to um, work on things and, and work through this affair. Um, you know, I, don't, I know we don't want to deep dive into affairs, but it's not that simple. And yeah. I do think that that is a, a great topic that people do need to explore, that affairs are not simply just that people fall in love and they want to be with someone else. And I do think that that's something that um, people need to, to learn about because um, if your spouse isn't in the middle of an affair, um, there is still hope for your marriage, even if they're saying, I don't want this marriage, I want out. Um, and, you know, maybe shameless plug, but Marriage Helper is a very um, resourceful organization that can help with that. But anyway, absolutely. so, so yes, so we did begin to try, but that um, pull to be with that other person was so strong that it was just chaotic. Like he said, it was just back and forth. And because I couldn't stop, he's just like, well, you, there's no way you can love me if um, you can't stop this affair. And so then, like he said, he kind of ended up um, spiraling as well yeah. until yeah. we we ultimately did divorce. I would say that, you know, I'd... I understood a couple of things, or at least thought I did on the outset. And I would say, you know, this for both of us, I, I understood my rights. You know, Matthew 19, we're about to get into that text. And I, I, I understood or thought I understood where my rights were. I understood that Jesus calls us to mercy. And so my first response shouldn't be to fall back on my rights. It should be do what Jesus does. And so forgiveness what I completely did not understand was the reality of walking with someone in addiction, which is exactly what an affair mm -hmm. is. And so, yes, you know, if she tells me what's going on, I say, absolutely want to forgive you and make this work. And then the days start to drag by and the weeks start to drag by and the reality of forgiveness and actually walking the cross is a whole lot different than Oh, just forgive them and everything's better. And they stop the bad thing and good things start happening again. It was a very naive idea of, of how this should go. So I, I would just say that, you know, what, what I learned really just kind of first glance on this topic is that when people get into marriage crisis, um, their rights really become large because of several different things, pain, just the pain of going through marriage crisis will push you to, okay, you know, what, what's my rights in this situation? Uh, fear, what am I going to lose in this situation? If, if they continue to go down this path, do I need to be looking out for my finances, for my custody, for, you know, do you know a good lawyer? Do I have a right to remarry? Legal, legal, legal. The, the, the rights just get large. And self-righteousness, you know, at the end of the day, you've done something that I didn't do. So, you know, all of that pushes you towards focusing on your rights when the, the biggest issue should be the cross of Jesus Christ being called to be Jesus. What would Jesus do? Jesus would forgive 
and he'd forgive to the extent of hanging on a Roman cross. Mm. And the reality of what that meant, I did not know. It took months and months and even years of processing after the fact to see what does the cross of Jesus really say about working through this issue. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's kind well, of thank, our thank you all. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing it with us. Um, that that vulnerability and that transparency, I know, is a blessing to me, uh, but I know it's going to be a blessing to others who hear this that are in other situations that that maybe mirror yours or maybe are very different, but but they can they can it resonates with them. Uh, but I think especially thank you for living out the gospel and showing us what the gospel looks like, what a cruciform life looks like in the midst of real life and and struggle and sin and and how the the cross of Jesus not only brings us salvation but it can transform our relationship. So thank you for putting it in that light because I think that as we get into the text I I often talk about a cruciform hermeneutic, uh, a way of reading the Bible through the cross of Jesus. And and I think that you just explained uh, marriage through, with a cruciform lens. And I think that that's, that's exactly right. And I think that that couches our interpretation of Matthew 19 and every passage in the Bible in, in the right light. So I'm just going to read the text uh, right now, and then, and then we'll kind of talk about what do y'all think see there that we should observe or, or point out or or notice as we as we look at that. So I'm going to read Matthew 19 starting in verse 3. It says the Pharisees came up to to Jesus and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" And he answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh?" So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For though there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Okay, so I read I read a little bit more obviously than than the Matthew nineteen nine uh, where we tend to focus all of our attention, but uh, both for both of y'all, Jordan and Priscilla, what what do you think as we read this this passage, if we're going to understand it rightly and then live it out when it when it matters most, uh, what should we notice about the words of Jesus here? Do you think? Yeah, um, so I would say. Uh, my experience with this text has been that there's both more and less here than we have often made it to be. Um, mm. My The way that I preached Matthew 19 early days versus the way I preach it now, now I preach it both more hardly and more liberally, if I can use that 
word. Gracefully. Gracefully, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I guess just starting on uh, the, the, the more hard uh, edges of this, this is, G- Jesus is serious about divorce. I mean, divorce is a, a terrible, terrible thing. Um, and if you've ever been through a divorce, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This is not speaking judgment. This is just speaking the reality of what divorce is. And he takes us all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis two. So he's not appealing to any cultural standards. He's appealing to what marriage is. And, And I think we could set that alongside, you know, you said use a cruciform lens, use a Jesus lens to interpret well, the lens of God's created order, Genesis 1 and 2, that, that's, it's, it's really one and the same. Jesus is God's ideal. Genesis 1 and 2, that's God's ideal. So what is that? Marriage is the creation of one flesh. One flesh. And I think about our marriage looking back through the years before our divorce. Um, you can't separate. We had 10, 11, 12, 13 years of marriage can't separate that stuff like you you really become one in so many ways that we weren't really even aware of until we started trying to separate it but malachi says whoever does not love his wife but divorces her covers his garment with violence so Mm -hmm. so the image being if you can imagine putting a a single body on an operating table and picking up your scalpels and your bone saws and going about the operation of splitting up that body violence, blood, gore. This is what divorce is, the tearing apart of a one flesh. And so it's it's just, it's not God's will. It's not life. And, and I would strongly consider, you know, ask anybody who's considering it at all, even if you say, well, they committed adultery. Okay, this is still violence. What would Jesus do? Jesus would pursue life and healing and reconciliation. He would not just set to the the task of violence. So so I I would dwell there and really press that. But on the other hand, I I think that this text has been used to push back against divorce in in a a legalistic sense as well. Uh, You know, someone does divorce. And we meet up with them 20 years later, and they've been raising kids and in and, and a, a house for, you know, 15 years of a second marriage. But we use this text to say, well, I'm so sorry, but you didn't do it right. You've got to get a divorce now. And, and why? Well, you know, there's some little nitpicky aspects of the text that we can walk through. But, but I, I think this text has been used to scare people away from divorce by binding things that that aren't actually bound in this text. So I think this text both would tell people, look, divorce is violence. It's one flesh that you're tearing apart. Don't do that. But on the other hand, we need to be careful that we say only what this text says and not bind more than what it actually binds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, I, when I come to this text, you know, I think that growing up, I, I just thought of God's rules and God's laws as, oh, we're just supposed to do this. Um, we may not understand why, or, um, you know, we, we, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I lost my train of thought. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so we kind of come to this text thinking, okay, this is just a rule, another rule that we have to follow, another rule mm-hmm. that God has made for us. But really, you know, just kind of looking at the, 
the scripture or all of scripture in the context of the cross, in the context of Jesus, then we do come to this understanding that whatever he has said, it's for our good. It's Mm -hmm. not um, because it's just another rule or another law. And so, like he said, I'm even much, and I, I say that because I guess since I'm the former wayward spouse, the former person who wanted out of the relationship, I know that that sounds um, ridiculous that I would be even more anti-divorce, but I am. I've become a lot more Mm anti-divorce because I have seen the trauma that it causes, not just to me, but to my husband and to my children and to people even beyond that. And so it it is um, just something that, like he said, is violence against that one flesh. Um, the other thing is, is that divorce itself is so sinful. Um, there's so much um, division and self am- selfish ambition. And, um, you know, there there's just all kinds of things going on within those interactions that are so sinful. So it's not even that, oh, yeah, you know, the thing that happened was sinful and I'm going to get divorced and I'm going to be able to move forward and it's going to be great. It, the, the act itself is sinful, I believe. And even, you know, just talking about taking our business before um, a secular yeah. court um, to, to say, okay, we as believers cannot, you know, settle this with each other. We have to take this before a secular court. Even that, I believe, is part of the sinfulness. So there, there was a moment, you know, and by the way, we had five kids when we started going through divorce. So splitting up a household with five kids. It was, it was really rough. There was this moment. I remember when she was packing up to move out and um, boxing things up and, you know, boxing a lot of children's clothing up because there was five of them. A lot of that boxing things from the kitchen up. You never think through these things um, before you actually get into them. But I remember she was taking some things out of the kitchen that I thought, you know, she was taking more than she should, taking more children's clothing that, that I thought that she should. Who's to say? But I was going from box to box, taking pictures inside of the boxes to be able to show, I don't know, a judge, a lawyer or whatever. And, and it was just looking back on that. It was so insane how my mind went there that I'm going to go, as she said, before some secular court with my little iPhone pictures and say, hey, she needs to give me three pairs of jeans back or whatever. It just is so opposite of the cross. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But he's a lot harder on himself. I, w- I was actually, I mean, absolutely acting ridiculously. So, you know, he, of course, would be in a panic or in a um, a, a place of fear. So, um, you know, he's a lot harder on himself <laughs> than, than he should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so just kind of going back to that text, it is just that, um, you know, like Jordan was saying, even about reconciliation, that's what Jesus would have us pursue. I truly believe that that's the whole reason Jesus came to this earth. Reconciliation was the Mm -hmm. ultimate purpose that Jesus came to this earth for. So why wouldn't we pursue that in our relationships, especially our marriage relationships that are supposed to be the picture of Christ and his church? Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. So uh, I'm just just looking at this, just a couple more little textual issues. I guess we need to kind of walk through a couple of these these points. Um, You know, there's the one flesh, Genesis 2. What does that say? We really covered that. I think we also need to pay attention, verse uh, 3. 
the question that Jesus is even responding to in the first place. Mm. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I think it's really important to understand that that is a context for what comes after. And um, when we hear them say, is it lawful? Well, that's not just saying, is it right? Is it you know righteous? Is it, is it in accordance with the law of Moses? So we need to go back and look, well, where's this question even coming from? And I was really shocked when I started looking for the context in the Old Testament. I would have thought that, you know, certificates of divorce and the process for getting a divorce, whatnot, would be pretty spelled out in the old law. It really just boils down to one verse, one passage. And there's not really even much there. Deuteronomy 24, that's really the only place that you can go in the old law to look for certificates of divorce. And even there, like I said, it's, it's really almost in passing. Uh, it's, it's a law about something niche about certificates of divorce that really just kind of assumes certificates of divorce. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says that when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. You can see here in this text, it's almost just assuming you already know about certificates of divorce, which you look at the law of Moses and you don't already know about certificates of divorce from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They're not talked about in detail as we would hope they would be. But uh, you take this one passage and, and you go into um, the religious climate of Jesus' day, and they were debating about this one verse here. Because obviously you can give a certificate of divorce if you find some indecency in your partner. In a Jewish context, your wife. It wasn't really something that a woman could, could uh, do divorcing her husband. But if the, the husband found an indecency in his wife, he could hand her this certificate of divorce. And you had liberal opinions and you had conservative opinions about this. Now, the conservative opinion by the House of Shammai was that we need to really be restrictive about the way we read this. This indecency certainly only refers to adultery or, or porneia, fornication, some kind of uh, adulterous type indecency. Uh, the liberal position, the House of Hillel said, no, it's, it's really anything that you deem to be an indecency uh, The the uh, example is even given if she burns your meal, then that can be some indecency over which you hand her a certificate of divorce. Uh, Rabbi Akiba uh, later on would say, if you see another woman that you find more pleasing than your wife, then you can give her a certificate of divorce. He was ahead of his time. So, so you have these, these debates and these schools of thought about this one verse. And um, so, so they bring this to Jesus and they say, Jesus, look, is it lawful in accordance with Deuteronomy 24? Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Uh, what do you think, Jesus? Uh, any cause like Hillel says? Indecency, is it more restrictive like Shammai says? This question has a context. And what Jesus basically says is, let's go back to the created order uh, in so many words, he, he sides with the house of Shammai that, uh, yes, if there has been adultery committed, then that is an indecency that may warrant a certificate of divorce. And so he, he's, he's answering a particular question in a particular law of Moses context. 
And, and I believe even with a specific emphasis on protecting women who were being mistreated by, he said, hard hearts. Moses had to give you this commandment because of the hardness of your hearts. You're just throwing your wives away like property. Uh, it was really about protecting them. So, so there's that context that really matters. It really matters. Mm-hmm. At verse 7, they, they kind of go back to it when he uh, tells them, hey, don't get divorced. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's the, the, uh, the ideal. That's the created order. Uh, they go back to it. So why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? And, and you know, it's really important here. If you ever want to win a debate in a cheap way, you need to control the vocabulary. They're doing that here. Moses didn't command a divorce certificate. And Jesus points that out. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. Didn't command you to divorce. He permitted it. Uh, so, so this 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 answer that he gives in Matthew 19, 9, by the time we get to that verse, we're deep in the context of a, uh, of a, um, a law of straight out of Deuteronomy 24. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate all of that context. I think that that's incredibly helpful. And I especially appreciate the way that y'all have both couched this conversation in, in ways of saying that, that this is, this is for people's good. These laws aren't given so that God can control us in ways that that are are harsh and and un, unreasonable and for no reason arbitrary. God gives us these these laws, these rules, uh, these guidelines for our flourishing, for our benefit. And Jordan, you even pointed out about the protection of women, both yeah. in the day of Moses and in the day of Jesus. And it's interesting to me, you've you've both sort of brought up even the way that so many times Matthew 19 gets interpreted and applied in a legalistic type of a way, that that leads to the further oppression of women, the further detriment of women, and not just women, but but whole households. And, and as you said before, children, when we, we read this text in a legalistic way, it leads to more harm and, and less health and flourishing, which is ironic because Jesus was attempting to deal with, Jesus was dealing with the legalism of his day that was reading this text of Deuteronomy 24 in such a way that these these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, were apparently patting themselves on the back for, quote-unquote, keeping the law when they were really just trading their wife in for another. And and right. Jesus, to your point, says, you're, you're not keeping the law. You're, you're doing what was allowed for, but, but this was never the will of God. Jesus even only gets to the point of making the what we call the exception for sexual immorality, when they pressed him on the point, originally yes. he just says, hey, this is this was never the will of God. It was always for one man and one woman to be joined together for life. And and wow, it's just it's so the the will of God is so so beautiful. But but then we we do have very real things that that come up. And yeah. if you would maybe speak to because I, I know a lot of people the 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 words that that sort of stick out and i think are the reason it's the reason the disciples of jesus 
reacted so strongly. You you began this conversation by talking about the the hard edges of this teaching because it it does mm-hmm. have hard edges to it, and and the disciples even react with shock, saying, "Hey, if if this is the way it is, it'd be better not to get married at all." Um, yeah. But but I think the the part that is so shocking is when Jesus says that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So yeah. again, we could talk about the ways that that idea is misused. But for for y'all, especially reading it through the lens that that you've had, what do you think about what Jesus says there and, and why he puts it in such stark terms to say? If you marry, if you divorce your spouse and go marry another one, you're committing adultery. Why would Jesus, in, in your in your estimation, say things like that? Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard it put this way before that um, you can't sleep with Donna if you're married to Denise, and it doesn't make it any better if you get a divorce with Denise to sleep with Donna. It's still the same thing. Yeah. Now, I think Jesus is. Yeah. You know, Matthew 5, 20, when he's in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the, the kingdom of heaven. And and the point there is that these guys, like you said, were patting themselves on the back, thinking that they were doing the big thing by just being so in tune with the letter of the law. And Jesus is saying they're actually taking the easy road. Uh, like like they, they are making... Instead of having their heart affected, they would rather, you know, tick off all the boxes of the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think what he's pointing out here is like you guys that are checking this box, you got your certificate of divorce, you think you're good according to the law. It's just you, you are maintaining a hardness of heart. You, you are trying to, to carve out a kind of religion where you don't have to. To, to follow Jesus, you, you don't, and I know it's, you know, the, the Pharisees weren't concerned with following Jesus, but you're trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're trying to have a hard heart, but then be godlike, and it, it does not work. And so I, th- I think Jesus is really just pressing it into, into plain view. It's adultery. It's adultery. Uh, and I think there's two things here that, that really get mixed up. And, and so I, I, I appreciate you kind of separating the conversation. There is the conversation about what is sinful and what is righteous. And then there's the, the conversation about what do we do after the fact? Yeah. If somebody has had a divorce and they are wanting to get remarried and we're trying to saddle them with, no, you can never marry again or what have you. Those are really two separate conversations. Yeah. But the one I think Jesus has his eyes on right here is the, do not get divorced. So, so kind of where I come at this piece um, is more from like the research uh, that's out there. Um, I think that a lot of times we think, okay, I didn't get it right the first time. I'm going to be able to get it right the second time. But research just does not speak to that. Um, The research out there shows that we most often get it right or rightest or however you want to say that the first time because the divorce rate which now, of course, it's it's gotten lower because the marriage rate is also um, decreasing. But the divorce rate for first marriages right now is around 41 to 44 percent. Um, but then when you get into second marriages, the divorce rate jumps to 61 percent. And then when you get into third marriages, it, it increases to in the 70s, in the high 70s percent of yeah. divorce rate or of divorce. And so um, it's just... 
like, I think it's, again, more from the research standpoint, I'm not necessarily trying to interpret that passage, but um, we're not going to get it righter the more that we do it. We're actually going to get it more wrong the more that we do it, especially if we're not addressing the problem. And, you know, I personally believe that problems in a marriage are problems with the individuals and you've got to address the problems within you um, in order to move forward in a healthier way. And again, I don't think you're going to get it righter with another person. Um, I think that, and even one of the passages that, that comes to mind so often because wow, I am so incredibly grateful that God brought us back together and he allowed us to reconcile within our marriage. Um, it is talking about the enjoying the wife of your youth. I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. not, I don't have it memorized, but um, I think that there's something really yeah. deep to that. There is a, a um, deeper level of enjoyment when yeah. you're with the spouse of your youth. And so, I, like I said, that's just kind of where I come down in that part is that you're not going to get it righter next time. And, and I think that is so good. Um, to to really, that's the ideal, right? The wife of your youth. At the same time, I wouldn't want anybody to listen right. to this who is in a second or third marriage and think, well, man, you know, there's no hope for me or I've already messed up too bad. That's right. We're not saying that there is, God always can work redemptively right Absolutely. now, right where you are and, and bring healing right where you are. I, I think the point though is that Unless you open up your heart and let him do a heart work in you, you're going to carry the same brokenness from relationship to relationship. You know, that's it's practical. I think it's in this text that if if you resist his work on your heart, call it adultery, call it brokenness that carries on throughout your whole life. That's right. It's really one and the same. That's right. But you I, know, I hope I'm not throwing a sorry. Go ahead. I was about to throw you a curveball, so so you go ahead. <laughs> no, no, bring the curveball. I, I was about to see if you wanted to go on to the remarriage part of it, but let's let's handle the curveball. Yeah, let's ha- let's do the curveball. Well, you you know, as as we think about the application, and 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 you guys have done a fantastic job of helping to apply these these principles to all of us. I think all of our marriages, no matter whether they're super healthy, as healthy as they can get, or, or they are falling apart. You know, I think that there's application to everything that's been said, but one of the things that, that has come to my mind, just as y'all have, have spoken, and you even mentioned self-righteousness. And as I look at the text, that's exactly what, what Jesus so often, as he dealt with the Pharisees, what he's dealing with is self-righteousness. And I can't help but think about some of the things that y'all have said and the things that I've seen as I've counseled couples but we almost always, it seems like we almost always feel justified in our decisions. Priscilla, you yeah. said, you know, that that a lot of what you were were feeling and experiencing and the reasons you did what you did was you, you felt alone and you felt neglected and, and unloved. And, and so you it sounds like you felt justified in your decisions. And of course, Jordan, when when you were presented with what was going on, you, you felt justified in your decisions. And, and I think that the Pharisees uh, feel justified in, in their position. So speak to that, if you would, of how self-righteousness is an enemy to, to experiencing and having what, what God would have us to experience in life and in marriage. Yeah. 
So, so of course, the passage that comes to mind is God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's um, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, we talk about this quite often, that pride is the root of all other sin. And, you know, I think a lot of times we want to address Oh, let, let's say you're having an affair or you're dealing with an alcohol, a struggle with alcohol, or um, you have a porn addiction and we want to address those behaviors, but we're still not addressing mm-hmm. the root problems within ourselves. Even if the person, um, you know, I'm wanting to help you with your alcohol addiction or your drug addiction or porn addiction, you yeah. know, like I need to to look at myself. And I, and I think it also goes along with Matthew seven and, you know, I'm very quick to point out specks in others eyes, but mm-hmm. I am not quick to address the log in my right. own eye. And so I think that that's um, kind of plays a part in a lot of those types of interactions. And like you said, just kind of that self-righteousness, as long as I'm not doing those bad behaviors that I see in another person, I'm okay. Yeah. And I'm not addressing that deeper problem, but I think self-righteousness leads to a lot of other problems if we leave it unchecked. Yeah. So, so when we started going through our mess, uh, as I said, it started, you know, she was in an affair, a couple months go past and um, I really started to unravel slow at first, but in many, many different ways, um, drinking alcoholically at times, a terrible porn addiction, um, reaching out to another woman and starting an affair myself these things really, my life morally began to unravel. And the whole time my mindset towards her is I have done everything that I can do to forgive you, to go past this, work on this, to, to bring the marriage back together. Um, all these things that I'm starting to fall apart. These are things that you have done to me by, by your sin and by continuing to go on. And, and it was really, I was falling apart and feeling self-righteous at the same time. I was doing mm. really bad things, but somehow it all went back to her. And it wasn't until we got divorced uh, that, that there was nobody in the house to blame. And I still had these issues that I had to work on myself and I had to get with God myself such that, that when we finally came back together, because surprise, we, we did get remarried. Uh, that's that's the end of the, the story. When we finally got remarried, it didn't feel like accepting the prodigal back into the house. It felt like two prodigals getting back together. Yeah. And God had just destroyed all that self-righteousness. And that was such a grace. Yes. And, and you know, goodness, we still work on that every day. Pride creeps back in. But at least now we know what the enemy is. It is that self-righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I wasn't saying all of that. I, yeah. That's y'all's story is so is so filled with hope and and forgiveness and grace and mercy and healing that I I know that it it has been and will continue to be uh, an inspiration and encouragement for so many other people and and I I I I reached out to Jordan because I I knew that just from the few brief interactions we've had on Facebook that you have, as I I said in my initial message to you, a a high view of marriage, a low Mm -hmm. view of divorce, and a high view of grace. And, and I think that's where we have to land is that that that's that has to be our perspective is that we believe God can bring healing and grace and forgiveness 
no matter where you are, that God can bring and reconcile people, even when it seems hopeless, <laughs> amazingly so. Um, but but that that there are rules. But I, I love again coming back to what you said in the beginning that these these rules that are there are there for our flourishing and for our health because. When we're left to our own devices, we don't we don't know how to do we don't know how to make sense of marriage or life or if or anything, and that's why our pride gets us in trouble. So, thank you for your humility. Thank you for your ministry and your work in the kingdom, Priscilla. You mentioned a minute ago a resource. I, I'd love for you to to share that again, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yes, absolutely. It's Marriage Helper. And I think you can just Google it. Um, there's all kinds of free resources on YouTube, um, on their website, but then they also have some resources that um, come with a cost, which I highly recommend. They have a three-day workshop. Um, and in that workshop, you learn all types of things. It's more of a lecture style. So it's not like a scary therapy weekend where you're going in and having to share all your dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. um, it is very, very helpful. And, and I would say life-changing. Um, and even if you're at a point where you're like, I, we don't even know that we could do this, um, I highly recommend Absolutely. attending that workshop because yeah. it will be life-changing regardless of what you decide to do in your marriage. Um, then they also have coaching. Um, they have other uh, courses that you can also purchase. Like I said, I just highly, highly, highly recommend um, Marriage Helper. Dr. Joe Beam and Kimberly Holmes. Um, Dr. Joe Beam is the founder and then Kimberly Holmes is the CEO. And uh, they are just amazing people as well. So, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much. This has been this has been incredibly encouraging. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time for doing this and and your work in the kingdom. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.